Welcome to the Well SGV podcast. We exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. Here's our message for the week. We're going to continue on in the book of 1 John in our series as we've been going over on Sundays and uh, we've been talking about this idea of living in the light. And uh, just to recap a little bit for you, 1 John chapter 1, uh, we're talking about what it means to have fellowship with God, uh, that he is holy, but he has provided his son Jesus. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we talked about how Jesus really is our our advocate, he is our propitiation. Uh, Because of Jesus, you know, we stand holy before God in his righteousness. And so that's the the great truths of 1 John chapter 1. Pastor Rick last week talked about what it means to uh, love one another, uh, being beloved children of God, and what it means to be young men and children and fathers in the faith, and uh, did a great job of just really helping us to understand all of those things. And today, I want to talk about this idea of what it means to live in the world without being of the world, what it means to be in the world without being of the world. So uh, before we go any further, I'm going to just ask you to join me in the word of prayer, and let's ask the Spirit to just open our hearts and be our teacher this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that uh, you've revealed yourself to us uh, through your word and through the person of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are uh, truly our advocate, you are propitiation. It's your blood that covers us, that washes us clean. Uh, We thank you, Lord, that uh, you would take us, and even though we're sinners, Lord, that, uh, Lord, you have removed the judgment uh, that was upon us because of our sin. Uh, You have declared your forgiveness and your righteousness over us, and we are grateful, Lord. We are joyful to stand uh, before you because of what Jesus has done for us. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this passage now, that you would open our hearts. Uh, What does it mean to not love the world? Uh, Lord, would you sanctify us? Would you make us more into the people that you are shaping us to become uh, through your word and through Jesus and through your spirit? And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Looking at this passage, I don't know about you, but I think that this passage can be one of the most confusing passages for a lot of us as Christians, right? Do not love the world. And yet, at the same time, in John chapter 3, this is one of the most famous verses in the Bible. Uh, John tells us, for God so loved the world, right, that he gave his only begotten son, uh, that whoever should believe him should should not perish but have everlasting life. right? So God loves the world, and yet, as uh, the people of God, we should love the world too. And yet, at the same time, John says, do not love the world. And by the way, this is both written by the same author, John, right? So it's a little confusing, like, which is it? What's going on? Kind of reminds me of this Calvin Hobbes little cartoon thing. You know, this is going way back now, right? But Calvin Hobbes, where they're in this dog fight, aerial dog fight, and there's these, uh, these planes surrounding them, and the fighter plane, and Calvin looks out and says, enemy fighters at 2 o'clock. And then Hobbes' response is, okay, then what do we do in the meantime? Get the point. (laughs) What kind of clock are you talking about, right? Uh, It depends on your perspective of that word clock, right? And the same with this as well. What does it mean to both love the world 
and not love the world. In what sense is John talking about this, right? I think it's helpful for us to start off with what does it not mean? What does it not mean when John says, do not love the world? And a few things I'm going to share with you is it does not mean to hate the material world, right? It does not mean to hate the material world. As Christians, right, we're not to hate the, uh, the, the creation, the material resources, all of these things. It's, as Christians, we don't say, well, you know, we, just, we hate the material things and we just love spiritual things, right? That's a false dichotomy. That's asceticism. And that's not what the Bible talks about. As believers of all people, we are free to most enjoy God's creation, knowing that it comes from God himself. You know, we are to enjoy the, the Wagyu steak beef, right? The shrimp, the sushi, you know, the great bike rides on the trek bike, you know, going up the mountains, you know. Like, we're to enjoy these things. These are gifts from God that we can rightly enjoy. God created the material order, the universe, and God loves this. God, in Genesis 1, when he created the world, he said, he said, this is good, this is good, this is good. He pronounced this world very good. And he loves this world so much that one day, he will actually create a new heavens and a new earth. He loves it enough to redeem it. So we can enjoy the material world as God has given us to enjoy. It also does not mean that we're to hate the economic and social and political structures of society. Um, there are some Christians who feel that maybe that the only thing that we should be concerned with in this world is simply to evangelize, to win the loss, you know, over to Christ. This is our only purpose for being in this world. And yet, at the same time, uh, we know that God is the one who's created all these different institutions and structures in this world. And through government institutions and through economic and social structures that these are what we call common grace gifts that God gives to us so that we can live a peaceable uh, lives in, in godliness before him. And so the fact that we have a thriving economy where people have good jobs and we have police and fire and city management to ensure our safety and protect, these are all gifts from God. And we're to rightly honor and appreciate and serve um, to serve societies, to serve our culture well through different vocations that God has created. We're also not to hate culture, right? God has created mankind to be very diverse in culture and to reflect his glory. And every culture has its broken aspects to it, but every culture has its beautiful redeeming aspects that reflect something of God's beauty and glory as well. Right, to, so we're to appreciate, enjoy culture while at the same time understanding that there is fallenness as well. And we're finally not to hate the people of the world. Right? We're not to hate the people of the world. This should be obvious. But sadly, there are some brands of Christianity that make you hateful towards those who do not agree with your values. And yet this is not who Jesus is this is not what Christianity represents. In fact, if anything, we are, as God's people, to treat everybody with, with utmost respect and dignity, knowing that every single person is created in the image of God. Regardless of your background, or regardless of what your values are, 
what, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with, with us spiritually, theologically, politically, or whatever it may be, our goal is to reflect Jesus by treating everyone with absolute dignity and respect um, as God's image bearer. So we're not to hate the people of the world. The idea that I just want to point out uh, today in this passage, I think that John is making is simple, and that is, I think what John is saying is we're to live in the world and yet not be of it. We're to live in the world and yet not be of the world. But how do we do this? Right? How do we live in the world without being of it? In other words, to live in the world as Christians, as followers of Jesus, and yet not become worldly, right? Not be corrupted by worldliness. Well, there are three things I'm going to share. I'm going to share the what, the why, and the how that this passage points out. So I'm just simply drawing out what John is uh, laying out before us. First of all is the what, the what. John says very clearly, do not love the world. Do not love the world. What does he mean by the world? Really simply, it is referring to the world's value system and to live as if this world is all there is. That is what it means to love the world, to live by its values and to live as if this world is all there is. And John goes on in verse 16. He says, he elaborates, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what are these things talking about? The desires of the flesh, the eyes, the pride of life. What does this mean? Well, let's break this down a little bit. This word desire is this word in the Greek, epithumia. Thumia refers to the desire itself. There's not, nothing wrong with desire. We all have desire. The word epi means an excess or over. And so tied together, this word epithumia really talks about an over-desire. And in some translations in the Bible, you'll have the word lust. Oftentimes when you think of the word lust, you think of maybe more sexual immorality, those kind of things. But when the Bible uses the word lust, it's not just limiting itself to, you know, just, uh, to sexual immorality. That's part of it. But it's, it's, something, it's talking about something much greater than that. It's talking about any desire that you have that goes, that goes way beyond God's boundaries for what he intended. In other words, something good that God has created that becomes so important and valuable to you that this is what you live for. This is what you live for. In other words, these are not evil desires. There's a lot of good desires that we have in life, but they become a lust, an over-desire. So the lust or the desires of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. Again, sexuality. Let's go back to that. It's a good gift created by God to be enjoyed in the context of marital covenant between husband and wife. But our culture has taken something that is good, designed by God, something to be enjoyed in its proper boundaries, and it's obsessed with sex. It's obsessed with sexuality. 
And the result is it becomes misused, abused. Sex is not treated as something of part of a self-giving love that you give to one another as husband and wife. Rather, it becomes a physical transaction, right? It's based on pleasure, and that pleasure is based on cost, quality, those things. It becomes nothing more than a physical economic transaction. So that's how uh, it becomes a form of excessive desire. Food and drink. These are good things, right? I love a good meal. I love good food. I love good drink. These things are great. Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, 32, though, he's talking about in the context of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. He's talking about this idea of eternity. And he's saying that there are some people who say, well, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If you don't have a perspective of the resurrection or of eternity, then you know what? Might as well just live it up now. That's the model. Like, make it, make this life as pleasurable as you can. Let us eat, drink, and be, be merry tomorrow. Who knows what's going to happen, right? And that's the philosophy. Hobbies, entertainment, right? Same thing. You know, these are good gifts. These are great things. Travel, all of these things, right? But uh, these things, do they become things that we actually live for? John goes on to talk about the desires of the eyes. So this is like what we can see, right? So this is beauty, attraction, uh, physically, or maybe for money or for power, but whatever we look at and we start envying and we start looking at saying, you know, I want more of that in my life. And um, again, these are, is, is physical beauty, attraction, is money, is power, are these things bad in themselves? No, these are good things, right? These, are, these, these can be good things. But they become, a cons- it becomes what we can be consumed by and it becomes what we live for. This is worldliness. The pride of life, John goes on, the third thing, he says, pride of life. And pride of life has to do with accomplishments or wealth in life that, that you boast or take pride in. Right? So things that maybe start making you feel like uh, I'm better than others in this. You know, I, I, It's because of my hard work, my talents, my gifts, that this is the reason why I've achieved this. This is why I've gone as far as I have in life. So it's going back to look at how far I've come because of what I've done, or you want others to notice your accomplishments, your achievements, or those things, and forgetting that these things ultimately have come from God. There's a passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8 where Moses talks about, he says, or God tells the Israelites, he warns them, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. So God even, he knows our hearts, he knows our tendency to forget him, to say, this is why I've gotten where I've gotten in life. Or maybe, another thing is, maybe you feel like you've got enough money in your portfolio, in your investment, in your bank. Because I've got enough money there, it's this idea, well, I'm fine. 
I'm good. If there are others who are suffering, if there are others who are not as well, you know, that's too bad, but at least I'm fine. This is the idea of pride of life, right? Or if I lose my job, or if something happens, at least I can make something happen. I've got the skills, I've got the education, I've got the background, I can, I can make something happen. This is going back to this idea of being of the pride of life. It makes you confident in yourself and your abilities. But this, according to John, is what worldliness is about. He is striking at the heart of what it means to love the world. See, worldliness is not like engaging in all the, these like evil things necessarily. Worldliness is about good things that God has created for our enjoyment, good things that God has created in this world. But what we do is we take these good things that God has created and it becomes an over-desire. It becomes a lust. It becomes something we, be, we, we begin to get consumed with, and we live for these things. That's what worldliness is, as John is talking about. But he goes on to talk about why we should not be of the world. The why is simply you will miss God in your life, and it will satisfy. In verses 15 to 16, look at how John describes this. He says, if you love the world, if you let the, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, if you let these things take over your heart, he says, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, uh, that all these things is not from the Father, but of the world. And then he goes on to say, and the world is passing away with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there are two things that John talks about. One is the love of the Father will not be in him. In other words, what John is saying is if, you, if these are the things that, that kind of fill your heart, that consume your heart, you won't have room for the love of God. You won't have room. There will be no space if you crave after these things. What it shows is that the love of the Father is not really filling your life. It's not filling your heart. That's what he's getting at. Another word to describe this that I want to talk about is this idea of worship. So here at the well, and you hear this every single week, right? That we, we talk about our mission statement, but we say that we exist to multiply followers of Jesus rooted in the gospel who worship, walk, and witness to God's glory. And when we talk about the word worship, talked about this a couple months ago when, we, uh, when I talked about Romans chapter 12, but what is worship? What we do, yes, on Sunday morning is worship. Corporate worship, the gathering of God's people. And this is a vital means, a, a great gift to all of us. We need this. But when we leave from corporate worship, what are we doing? Is we're leaving to scattered worship. In other words, every single day is to be, to be lived in worship before God. But what is worship then? Is it singing songs, politely listening to a sermon, right? Uh, and then is that what worship is? 
we talked about worship as simply what you treasure most in your heart. That is true worship. When God sees us, when he looks at our heart, or when he sees, when he sees us, what he's looking at is not your physical form. He's looking at your heart. Rend your hearts, not your garments. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he's looking at what do you truly value in your heart above all things? What do you treasure? What do you find to be the most precious, satisfying, um, the most beautiful thing of your heart? And this is what John is, is getting at. He's saying the love of the world is this, but the love of the Father is treasuring God, treasuring Christ above all things. That's what he's getting at. Salvation, let's talk about that. A lot of times when we, when we maybe talk about salvation, we misunderstand salvation too. We can be very reductionistic about salvation. We can say, well, if you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins, accept him into your heart, then uh, you know, you'll go to heaven, uh, he'll forgive you and you'll go to heaven. Yes, amen to that. That's true, right? Praise the Lord for that. Very, very true. But the idea of salvation in the Bible is not simply that you've received Jesus so you could go to heaven. That's not what salvation is talking about. Salvation in the Bible is really a deliverance from a former treasuring or former way of idolatry into now a following of Jesus and treasuring Jesus. It's living into the things of God and his kingdom and eternity. This is true salvation. This is, if you read the book of Romans, I mean, you, you'll see this. But this is what, this is what the Bible's talking about. Salvation is this. I used to crave these things. These, these things used to dominate my life. And this is what controlled me, consumed me. Uh, these are things I chased, chased after because I, epithumiad, I, I, I lusted after these things. I thought that these are things that will bring me pleasure and satisfaction, security, comfort, all of these things in my life. So I, I chased after these things. But through Jesus, he has now changed me so that now I treasure the things of God's kingdom. I treasure the things of Christ and God himself above these things. It doesn't mean that you, know, you are perfect. That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about the fundamental treasure of your heart has shifted away from these things onto Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Are you saved? Are you truly saved? This is what salvation is about. And this is what, what John is talking about as well. Repentance, then, is what? Simply changing your worship. It's changing your worship. That is repentance. So the questions I want to ask you is this. What do you love most? I mean, honestly, in your heart. What are you afraid of losing? If I were to ask you, what are you afraid of losing in your life? What comes to your mind? What commands your obedience? What do you, in other words, what, do you, what are you willing to sacrifice your time, your energy most to? I'm going to give my time, my energy most to these things. When I have discretionary time, when I have free time, this is what I'm going to devote my time to. That is revealing a lot of times of our worship. What temptations can't you deny? 
right? Um, that is revealing. So unless we actually repent of the epithumias of the heart, John says we've never really come to the love of God. You're just dealing with the surface. But there may be lots of anxiety. There may be a lot of discontentment in your life, a lot of worry, a lot of jealousy, a lot of envy, because the deeper things of the heart have not really been dealt with or they haven't been changed to worship Jesus. This is what it means to love the world versus the love of the Father. And he goes on to say in verse 17 that the world is passing away along with its desires. In other words, the pleasures that the world offers, these sayings, are fleeting and temporary, and they will end in disappointment and will not last in satisfaction. It's like drinking seawater, right? If you're stranded in a boat, the temptation is to just, and you know, you're in the middle of an ocean, the temptation is to drink that water, but while it looks promising, it's going to just make you more thirsty and it's going to lead to death. And the world, John says, it's, 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 it's just, it's passing away. It's passing away, these things. It's one day there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And the things of this world are just very temporary. Augustine said it. He said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it finds its rest in you. But we are, we've been created for so much more than what this world can offer. We've been created for God himself, and only he can satisfy. So how? And this is the third thing. How do we live for God? Or how do we overcome the things of the world? How do we get past the love of the world? We've got to live for God in eternity. To live for God in eternity. This is what John says at the end. He says, the world is passing away along with desires, but he says this. And this is a key phrase that you'll find all throughout the Bible. Jesus talks about this all the time. He says, whoever does the will of God, though, abides forever. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is what's going to last, right? So we said, worldliness is living for the here and now. It's trying to make as my life right now as happy as I can. I've got to try, try to cram in as much happiness right now because if your worldview or if your outlook on life is that there is no eternity, there's no God, there's no resurrection, there's none of those things, it makes sense. You've got to cram in as much of your happiness in this life as you possibly can. That makes complete sense. But if there is a God and there is an eternity, Jesus really is risen from the dead, he really is reigning as king of kings, then that changes everything. There's a woman named Peggy Newman who wrote, and I, I have no idea if she's a Christian or not, but she uh, writes for uh, the Wall Street Journal, she writes for Forbes magazine, and this is what she wrote. She said, I think we have lost the old knowledge that happiness is overrated. That in a way, life is overrated. We've lost somehow a sense of mystery about us, our purpose, our meaning, our role, our ancestors believed in two worlds and understood this to be the solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short one. We are the first generations of man that actually expected to find happiness here on earth. And our search for it has caused such unhappiness. 
The reason, if you do not believe in another higher world, if you believe only in the flat material world around you, if you believe that this is your only chance of happiness, if that is what you believe, then you are not disappointed when the world does not give you a good measure of its riches. You are despairing. That makes complete sense, doesn't it? She's getting, at, she's getting right at the heart of what John is saying. Do, you, do we actually believe in the higher world, the kingdom of God, eternity, in, in the resurrection? Do we believe in those things? Because if we believe in those things, we're not going to try to chase after as much, like try to make this life as happy as we possibly can. And when you're disappointed, it's not shocking. This world is fleeting. Some questions. Are you generous? Are you generous with your time, your energy, your money, your resources, because you're walking by faith and not by sight? So that's a big measure. If you, could, if you are if you're generous with, with your life to the things of God, to people, to God's kingdom, to uh, his word, if you're generous to these things, that's a big indicator of where my faith is really at. A worldly person is always worried and uptight because the cares of this world are, are constantly just consuming you, right? The questions I want to ask uh, is this. What kind of person am I becoming? There are three things that you're going to carry into eternity from this world. There are three things. First of all, God and your relationship with God. That will last forever into eternity. His word. You know, heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus says, my earth, my word will never pass away. Uh, His word will endure forever. And people, right? Anytime you invest in people, serving people, loving people, uh, witnessing to people, anytime you invest in people, that will last forever as well. Those are the things that truly last. And so the question I want to ask is, then what kind of person am I becoming in Christ? Because that's the person that you are becoming is what you will carry with you into eternity. In other words, the investments you make in your relationship with God right now, the investment you make into his word and to other people are the things that will last 10,000 years from now. A million years from now. That's what's going to last. What kind of person are you being shaped to become in Christ as we go on to eternity? How is my life being used in such a way that will make a difference a thousand years from now? A thousand years. These are the things, right? These are things that will point to his kingdom. And instead of approaching your job just to make money, to save for retirement, or just to, to make money so you can fund your hobbies and your entertainment and these are or the weekends or travel or if this is kind of what if this is kind of the main thing that you're living for think how can i use my job in such a way that points to christ that i could use the gifts that god has given me in such a way that serves people that helps people that brings value to people does what i do bring genuine value to the people around me to god himself does it promote the good of others? How can I approach every single person that I meet 
as a fellow image bearer of God. Not looking down on them, not judging them because they're not as smart, they're not as rich or powerful or successful or whatever it may be, but how can I treat every single person I come across as a fellow image bearer of God and treat them with utmost respect and dignity and worth? These are the questions. These are the things that show, are we looking at the desires of the flesh, the eyes, the boastful pride of life, or do we love the world as God loves the world? Are we seeking to create goodness and love as God wants us to love? As we go into this time right now of response, I want to just come before God, take this time to just look at your heart, your life, these things, and I want you to ask these questions about yourself, but what area of your heart do you find yourself seduced by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life? What areas? Where are those places in my heart where maybe worldliness is starting to take away the love of God? And how might God be speaking to you to live for eternity and not as if this world is all there is? to really think on the things of the world beyond, the kingdom beyond. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, and this is a final passage I'll just leave with you. Jesus says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We remember, as we take this time of communion, remember, we remember that Jesus died for us. And he died for us so that we can have a new worship, that we would no longer worship the things of the world, that we would worship God himself, and we would make God our true treasure of our hearts and our lives. That's why he died. And so when we come, and we come even confessing and repenting, what we're confessing and repenting is, Lord, it's not the, the shallow behavior things. Yes, we need to stop whatever evil, but what we're confessing is, Lord, change my worship. Lord, give me a new heart of worship. Lord, give me a heart that would treasure you above all things. That's what we're saying before God. I invite you to come up when you're ready. And uh, there's prayer in the back as well for those of you who would like prayer uh, in the back. Seek it out. This is God's way of speaking, and he wants to heal as well. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We would love to hear from you and help you take one step closer to Jesus. To contact us or for more information, please go to www.thewellsgv.org.